I think they've got something special in there this morning. <laughs> looks, looks more exciting than it does here. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> While they're making their way, we're going to turn to Psalm 130 this morning. Psalm 130. I am well aware that Psalm 130 doesn't have the Christmas story in it. But that's where we're going to start anyhow. Psalm 130. Uh. Out of the depths I cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And this is the verse I want you to, next two verses, pay attention to. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I decided to do something different this year. In the 40 years that I've been in the pulpit ministry, I've never done an Advent series. Don't ask me why. Uh, I just haven't. I'm usually in the middle of a series And I grudgingly take a week or two off to give a Christmas message and then jump right back into the series again. Well, this year, as I was working on Jude, I realized I'm going to finish Jude the end of November. And I don't want to start a new series the 1st of December and then have to break for Christmas. So why not do an Advent series? Now, I realize if you've grown up with liturgical system that you've probably done that every year. You're, you're way ahead of me on that. But that, that was not my background. And so this is new for me. Occasionally, we would have, when the kids were little, we'd get an advent calendar. You know, one of those little things, a lot of times they'd have little windows and you open up the window one each day and, and it has something to do about Christmas. And we would work through that with, with the kids at home, but I, I never have done it in church. Uh, now, not being raised in that tradition, I may not do it the way you're familiar with. That's okay. I'll, I'll be flexible in, in that today. Uh, I did a lot of research on, on, believe it or not, I even went online to research this. <laughs> that, that, that's a step, I don't know whether it's a step forward or a step backwards, but I couldn't find anything in my book, so I, I had to go online to, to get information on, on the Advent season. Uh, The Advent season is not found in Scripture. Did you ever notice that? Um, But before we write it off, neither is Christmas found in Scripture. You don't have a Christmas tree. You don't have the decorations. You don't have the lights and everything, all the trimmings that go with Christmas mentioned in, in Scripture there. Now, I'm not being Scrooge when I say that. I'm not being the Grinch. I'm not trying to take Christmas away from you. Uh, we traditionally put up a tree every year. The house is decorated. That, just because it's not in Scripture doesn't mean we don't do it. But uh, it also means it's not sacred. The only service that we have in Scripture that God calls us to remember on a regular basis is what we have before us this morning, the Lord's table. 
this, this is the remembrance service that, that he has, has given to us there. Uh, so as we think of Advent, it's a reminder. Well, the word Advent itself means, it comes from the Latin term. It means coming or it means a visit. He is coming to, to, to visit his people there. Uh, for centuries, the Jewish people have looked for a visit. They've looked for the Messiah to come. E- even today, when they have their Passover season, somewhere during the, the service, uh, uh, the meal that they have together there, one of the little children will go and open the front door, and they will look up and down the street to see if Elijah is coming, uh, uh, which indicates that the, the Messiah is, is right behind him there. And so that, that is, Advent has been a, a Jewish celebration for centuries. Our theme each week is going to be, uh, going to parallel their thinking. What were they looking for? Why did they celebrate? Why did they think of, of the coming of the Messiah? So each week we're going to see a different aspect of what they were looking for. For us, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ not only came, but he's coming again. And we're looking forward to his return today. And so it, it becomes an important remembrance for us as well. Now, I got an Advent wreath. Uh, it's got five candles in it. Uh, traditionally, you light one candle each week. We're going to try that. But uh, I don't know if our smoke alarm will go off or not (laughs) by the time we get to the fifth candle. But there are actually five candles. Uh, Traditionally, you light one a week, and then the fifth one is to be lit on Christmas Eve. Simple enough, except for the fact that the colors are different. Did, Did you notice that? There are three purple candles. I have a problem with that because I don't know what purple is. But they tell me there's three purple candles. My, my, my wife made sure that we picked out the right ones. And then one of them is supposed to be pink. And, and uh, why did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, just, just to make it hard, I think, for, for pastors there. But uh, the, the three purple candles speaks of, incidentally, they're not traditional Christmas colors, are they? What do we usually think of for Christmas? Red and green. Yeah, uh, or red and brown, some of us think of. Uh, forget the, the green part there. But uh, th- these are symbolic. The, the purple represents royalty. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to rule and reign. And we look for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So three of them speak of royalty. The fourth one, the pink one, speaks of joy. It, it's a sign of joy. Now, the, it's, you, you'll have to keep me on track there to make sure I, I light the right one at the, on the right week there when, when we come to joy there. And then the white one, the one in the center, reminds us of the Christ, the, the one that we're celebrating, whose birthday it, it really is, and, and who is the one that is the focus of our thoughts there. The theme will differ each week. And I realize, depending on the tradition that you came out of, you will have a different set of themes than than somebody may be sitting in the row next to you because they've come up with a different tradition there. There are several different 
uh, traditions. I'm following the one that where the first candle, and that's the one we're going to light today, the first candle represents hope. And so we have a message of hope today. What was it that Israel was hoping for? What was their hope centered in? Why, why did they have a sense of, of hope? Well, for Israel, they were expecting a Messiah. Now, sadly, many had a wrong concept of a Messiah. Many people were looking for a political savior, one who would come and defeat the forces of Rome or, or whatever country was in control of Israel at, the, at that particular time. Uh, they, they wanted a political solution. They wanted to return to the days of David, to the, the glory days of Israel, David and Solomon, and, and the tremendous life and power that they had at that time. That wasn't what God had in mind. Psalm 130, I think, captures for us the hope that they had. That, that's why I chose Psalm 130. Uh, it uh, zeroes in on what those who really knew the scriptures and those who really knew God were looking for. I notice the sense of expectancy there when you get down to verse 6. That In, in a sense, he's talking of the watchman waiting for what? The morning. Have you ever sat up all night and wished the sun would come up? Those last few hours, they can be long, can't they? They they just seem to to drag on. I remember sitting up all night with a stupid cow. Uh, Somebody, when we were on the mission field, had given us some brown Swiss cows, and and those cows were stupid. (laughs) Now, not not every cow is. I, I, I realize that, but we had... Uh, a creek that came through the property there, the mission property. And, and on the other side of the creek, it was swampy. And periodically, those cows would get across the creek and bog down in the mud. And you'd have to go over and try and dig them out of, of, of the mud hole. Well, we, we found this cow just as it was getting dark, and it, it was getting cold. Uh, and we called some neighbors for some help, some ranchers in the area, and, and we wrestled that cow out of the mud and up onto a bank, but it was so weak by that time that it couldn't even stand. And so he, his suggestion was build a fire, watch it all night long, and then we'll come in with a sled or something in the morning and we'll get that cow out for you. So uh, three of us sat up with that stupid cow all night long. I was never more happy to see the sunrise than I was that, that morning. It was cold. We we tried to sleep, but we couldn't. Uh, uh, just as the sun came up, I said, let's go home and get some breakfast. We came back after a half hour getting some breakfast, and the stupid cow had died on us. <laughs> Not only had the cow died, but we lost the calf a- a- as well. So, uh, But I still remember longing for the morning and, and wishing it would come. What were they looking for? What were they expecting? Well, first of all, they were looking for the Lord. They were looking for a person now. Their hope was centered not in politics, not in a program, not in the things of, of this world. Their hope was centered in a person. In the, most of them did not fully realize what the ministry of Christ would involve. But even when Jesus was on the scene, you remember John the Baptist was in prison. He sent his disciples to Jesus, and the question that he asked is, uh, 
are you the one? Are, are, are you the one that we've been looking for? Uh, others asked that, that same question. He was the ultimate source of hope for the nation. That, th- those that truly believed in God were looking for a, a Messiah, looking for the one who was to come. It started back in the book of Genesis, actually. Remember when Adam and Eve chose to sin in, in verse 15 of chapter 3? It speaks of the fact that God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. There was a reference there, I believe, to the coming Messiah. And from that point on, they looked for the one that was going to come, that was going to bruise the head of Satan, that was going to set them free. Uh, I, I think Eve captured that thought. When you come down to chapter 4, uh, in verse 1, it says, The man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She thought that Cain was the answer to what God had promised. When it turned out that he wasn't, when you get down after Cain kills his brother and so forth, and she realizes he's not the one, in verse 25 and 26, again they have a child, and they name him Seth. And they said, for God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. But she was looking again for the offspring that would be the Messiah. Now, I realize that wasn't to be, that wasn't God's plan at that point in time, but that expectancy, that hope was there. They were looking for a Messiah. They also looked for, the psalmist said, his loving kindness, or If you go into the New Testament, that word is translated grace. They were looking for God's grace in their life. David recognized the need of grace in Psalm 51. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, he he cried out that the Lord would create within him a new heart, renew a, a right spirit within him. The whole sacrificial system was designed to encourage hope in the children of Israel. The the sacrifices did not pay the penalty for sin, but it gave them hope that a Messiah was coming, that someday that that sin would be dealt with and and the price would be paid. And that's what Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished or it is paid. He fulfilled that hope, that expectation for grace. Uh, Many did not understand that in the Old Testament, but in faith, those that really knew what God was doing looked forward in hope to, to a Messiah that would come and give them the grace of God. And then they looked for redemption. Again, sadly, many didn't realize their need. But praise the Lord, there were always those who did. And they looked for redemption. Uh, th- that hope was realized for them on the cross. But, uh, and for us, it has become a reality. But in faith, they looked ahead. They had as Hebrews 1 said, they had the assurance of things hoped for. They, there was that conviction there. There was that evidence in their hearts that God would keep his word. And because they believed that, it led to action in their lives. Uh, if you read the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, you'll notice how having that conviction that God would keep his word, they acted. Each one of the patriarchs uh, that's listed there, demonstrated by their life that they believed, that they had hope, that the Messiah was coming. Well, that was the nation of Israel. What do we have to hope for today? What, what do we have to look, look forward to? Our hope, I believe, needs to be rooted 
in eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he said, If in this life only you have hope in Christ, you're of all men most to be pitied. If our hope is centered in anything in this world, we're going to be sadly disappointed. Our hope has to be rooted in things that are eternal. Why is that true? Because we're not going to be here forever. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but time is slipping by. I looked at the calendar and it says yesterday, December 1st. Where where did this year go? How did we get this far along? I I had a a birthday this week and I kept telling my family I'm not going to celebrate a birthday this week so I don't have to be a year older. (laughs) They they didn't listen. (laughs) I I, I don't know why, but they didn't. But... uh, Time is passing away, and everything that, if our hope is centered in the things of this life, the day's coming when we're going to leave them all. So, going to leave them all behind. Uh, I, I like the story of the man that was buried in his Cadillac. And as they're driving down to the cemetery where he's going to be placed in a, in a large grave there, somebody said, uh, uh, How much did he leave behind? And the answer was, All of it. Yeah, he didn't take any of it with him. He, he may have been buried in a Cadillac, but uh, it's just going to rust away in the ground. It's not going to do him any good there. Not taking it to heaven with him. Our, our hope has to be rooted in something beyond this world, or we will be disappointed. Our hope will be worthless. And so just as the nation of Israel looked for the Lord, we look for the Lord as well. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, sums it up. Looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is coming again. Uh, There are so many pictures in the New Testament that give us that sense of hope. I think of John chapter 14. Uh, In in John chapter 14, he, he just has revealed to his disciples, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be crucified. And they're sorrowful. He says, don't let your heart be sorrowful. Don't, don't be troubled. If I go away, he said, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He gave them, even as they faced the cross, he gave them that sense of hope that if his life was taken, he was coming again for them. Pictures of, the, of a wedding in that particular day. In, in biblical days, when a couple became engaged, they were actually considered married. You, you didn't break an engagement like you, you do today. If you wanted to break an engagement, there was only two ways you could do it. You either divorced or you uh, died. One, one, one of the two there. I, I realize today we can get engaged one day, uh, break that the next day, get engaged with somebody else the next on and on it goes. But uh, you, you didn't do that back in those days. When that covenant was made, it was made for, for life there. After they they were officially engaged, the bride had the responsibility of getting things gathered up to what she was going to need for housekeeping and so forth. That was her responsibility. The groom had the responsibility of getting the house ready. And he either had to build a house or add on to his father's house or, or whatever arrangement they were making there. But he had to go and prepare the place. Now, that's what Jesus said. I go to do what? I go to prepare a place for you. And the interesting thing, today, uh, I've done several weddings over the years, uh, and the thing that stands out is, it's the bride that seems to have all the say, uh, makes the plans and so forth. I, I realize you do that 
partly together, but it, it's, it centers around the interests of, of the bride there. Not so when Jesus spoke those words. It was the bridegroom that chose the day. When he had the house ready, he had the right at any time to come and claim his bride and take her home to be with himself. Uh, Traditionally, they would send word in advance to the the bride that he was coming, but they they didn't even have to do that because that was already his bride. They they were officially married, in a sense, as far as the community was concerned. And so he was the one that set the time and the terms there. If they were uh, a poor family, he would send word and, and she would meet him halfway and they'd go back to the house. If if she was from a, a wealthy family, they, they may meet at her house and have a party there first and then go back and have the, the wedding celebration at, at his house. But it was the, the groom that set the terms there. And it's Jesus Christ that set the time of his return. He's coming again, but he hasn't told us when. Uh, he knows, but, but we don't. And we are encouraged to be ready to, to meet him. So much so that our hope being centered to him is found in Revelation 22, verse 20, where Jesus said these words, Behold, I am coming quickly. Now, it's been almost 2,000 years since he said those words. Is he really coming quickly? Well, I think we need to realize that elsewhere in Scripture, in, in Peter, he says, A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. So in his economy, it's only been two days. That's, that's not a long time. And, and so uh, while it seems a long time to us, and it seems sometimes, you, you ever find it hard to wait? You ever wish today was the day that, that, that he would come and, and take us home to be with himself today? Uh, he is coming. We, we just don't know when. And praise the Lord, when he comes, we will not be disappointed. Uh, as the, the writer of, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. He's been taking 2,000 years to get that home ready for you. Whether it's a room or a mansion, I don't know how you want to translate that. But just think of the glorious future awaiting you in eternity there as you're in the presence of the Lord. In a, a book, Things Unseen, written by Mark Buchanan, he tells the story of William Dyke, an English youth who was blinded in an accident when he was 10 years old. Nevertheless, he continued to pursue his education. uh, And while he was attending graduate school in his early 20s, he met and fell in love with a young lady. She was the daughter of an admiral. And uh, she returned his love, and they decided to marry. Her father, however, had some reservations about that. You you know, parents kind of like to look after the, the, the daughters uh, want to be careful who they, they choose for partners and so forth. Uh, some of you are just getting to that point. Some of you are, are hoping that doesn't come too soon. <laughs> but uh, in, in this case, he insisted if they were going to go ahead with the marriage, that the young man be willing to undergo a risky operation, that if it worked, he would receive his sight. If it didn't work, he would continue to be blind. William agreed, but he insisted on his part that if the procedure did let him see, he wanted his bride to be the first thing that he saw. And so before the wedding, he had arranged for the operation. 
came with his eyes banished in gauze to the wedding, and they slowly uncovered his eyes. And then he was face to face with his bride. The church was hushed. All waited to learn the outcome of the operation. For a long moment, William was speechless. The silence dragged on. But then as his eyes began to function as God intended, he cupped her face in his hands and he said, you are more beautiful than I ever imagined. You know, that's just a small picture of what's going to happen when we hear the trumpet call. He's going to be far more beautiful than anything we can imagine. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to be with Christ in in glory. We're looking for the coming First Corinthians, First Thessalonians 4, we're looking for the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the upward call of Christ Jesus. We're going to be with him, and it's going to be unimaginably beautiful. We can't begin to fathom what he has for us. We also today look for his loving kindness, or if we come down to the New Testament, we're looking for his grace now. Now, haven't we already received his grace? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God there. But if you go back to verse 7 of that chapter, before he reveals the grace that has brought us salvation there, in verse 7 he says, In the ages to come, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. We have experienced a measure, I believe, of God's grace today. But it's just the beginning of the journey. There's so much more. We're going to spend eternity marveling in his grace. We're going to spend eternity learning more and more of the grace and, and all that God has in store for us. As we said, 1 Corinthians 2.9, we haven't begun to see the glories of heaven. We can't even begin to fathom them today. We there's so far beyond us that it's going to take all of eternity for us to fully understand what God has for us, for us to plumb the depths of his grace. And then we look for the third thing here. We look for redemption today. Now, I realize we have that song, I've been redeemed. We sing it. Have we been redeemed? We have, Yeah. I, I trust you have. I trust you've accepted Christ as your Savior. In him you have redemption. But notice 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. I don't have it marked here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at, with me at verse 23 there. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. We have been redeemed. Our spirit has been redeemed. We have been made right with God in our spirit. Uh, We've been justified. What that states for us today is he has paid the penalty for our sin. And we have accepted that. We have, we can honestly say today, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we have been redeemed. But notice he prays not only that their spirit, in a sense, be redeemed there, but their soul be redeemed as well. And we're involved in that process today. We are being redeemed today through the process of sanctification. We're being redeemed from the power of sin. Its hold on us is slowly being broken. How many of you 
still have areas that you still wrestle with in your life. We all do, don't we? If we're honest, if we're not honest, then that's an indication we do. Uh, but uh, that power is slowly being broken. I trust as you look at your life today, you can honestly say, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. God has worked in my heart. God has taught me, God, God has brought me one step closer to, to what he has for me in eternity. We have been, we are being redeemed today. And then Romans chapter 8, our body is going to someday be redeemed. Romans 8.23 says, Not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We are waiting for that final act of redemption when he is going to give us a new body. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of the, the, the new body that we are going to have someday because of the work of Jesus Christ. Are you excited about that? You, you know, the older you get, and I, I think that's one of the reasons God has us go through old age. You know, the body kind of deteriorates, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you ever wrestle with that sometimes? I think God does that so that we're looking forward to eternity. You know, when we were young and everything was going our way and we were strong and, and could do it without giving any thought anything we wanted and so forth there, we didn't spend a lot of time thinking about heaven. But the older we get, the more real it seems. The, the older we get, the more we, we focus on it's going to be a great day when we have a redeemed body when it's transformed, when it's changed into the image of Jesus Christ. No more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache there. What a glorious day that's going to be. As we approach Christmas this year, let us take time, I I think it's important for us, to celebrate the fact that you and I are people of hope today. You and I have something to look forward to. Not a whole lot to look forward to in this life as we look at the the way things are going and so forth. But we, of all people, have hope today. We have a glorious future awaiting us. And we should have within our hearts that calm assurance that someday Jesus Christ is coming again. And we're going to enjoy all of the blessings that he has for us in eternity. That hope should be that calm assurance that keeps us walking through this world. Years ago, uh, our daughter Vicki took her a couple years before she really got to talking well. She's made up for it since then. (laughs) But uh, she had two older siblings. She had mom and dad. She didn't really need to talk a whole lot because everybody seemed to jump to her needs there. And uh, we were a family of... of Readers, we, we all loved reading. Uh, all over our house were books. Our, our son was never happy unless he had uh, 10 or 12 books at least beside his bed that he, that he could pick up and read at night and so forth. Uh, he, he always enjoyed it when we moved. Uh, you know, kids sometimes have a hard time moving, but, but he enjoyed it, the fact that we moved, because that meant there was a new library and, in town, and, and 
there would be a whole new set of books he, he, he could work his way through there. So uh, uh, he, he always looked forward to that. But poor Vicky, she was only two or three years of age at the time. She couldn't read. And, and so uh, many a night when we were all sitting around, we grabbed a book and because and well, we didn't have TV. Uh, we, we started out with TV when we moved to Little wet British Columbia, and our son knocked a glass of water over the back of it, and and uh, it was one of those old tube models, and, and things just went popping and flying, and and we didn't have the money to replace it or repair it, so we went back to our books, and we're all sitting there looking at a book, and here comes Vicky walking into the living room with a, a a big stack of books, and and the words that she often said was, "Hope somebody read me a book." You know, she had that calm assurance that somebody was going to put down their book, pick her up, and they were going to read to her. There, there was not a doubt in her mind that that was what was going to happen. And somebody always did. This Christmas season, in the midst of all of our activities, keep your eyes on the fact the king is coming. He's coming again for you and for me. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Years ago, following a great victory, King Cyrus of Persia had taken as prisoner a noble prince, his wife, and his children. As they were brought before him, Cyrus asked the prince, what will you give me if I set you free? The prince said, I will give you half of all that I possess. Cyrus said, and what will you give me if I release your children? He said, your majesty, I will give you all that I possess. And then Cyrus went one step farther and he said, but what will you give me if I set your wife free? Without hesitation, he looked at his wife and he looked at Cyrus and he said, if you restore my wife to freedom, I will give you my life. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he released the entire family without comprehension. That evening, the, the prince, as he was sitting there with his wife, said, asked if she thought Cyrus was a handsome man. She said, I didn't notice. Said, what do you mean you didn't notice? She said, I had eyes only for the one who said he would lay down his life for me. And that's what Jesus did for us. And someday we're going to see him in his glory, and we are going to be with him in eternity. What is your hope today? Is it in the circumstances of life? How do you, the fact that he's coming again, how does that affect your attitude toward the circumstances today? Do you realize that so many things that if we're not careful, we get upset about and troubled with, that we could put that phrase over top of them, this too shall pass. Someday we're going to be home with him in glory. He's coming again. We have that hope today. Everything else in this life is temporary, but we're going to be with him in eternity. How does that hope affect your decisions? How does that hope affect the priorities? How does it affect what you're really spending and investing your time in today? Are you living and have your eyes fixed on the one who gave his life for you? Or do you let something else crowd into your heart and life to keep you from appreciating all that he has for you today? We are to be people of hope. We are to celebrate that hope 
this Christmas season. Let us rejoice today in the hope that he's given to us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to stop and say thank you for hope. Thank you that this world is not all there is for us. We have a glorious future to look forward to somewhere down the road. We don't know whether it's today or tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now, but we believe that you are coming again. Help us to live in light of that fact. Help us to enjoy and appreciate the hope that you have for us and that you have given to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With that in mind, we're going to sing, I am thine, O Lord. We belong to him, and let's celebrate that fact.